0: Well, it is an honor and a blessing to be here with you this morning. My church back home greet you. My beautiful wife, Christine, is here with me. Uh, many of you, uh, last time I was here, I had two of my kids. I had Isaac and Allura. They both send their love to Calvary Chapel, Eldoret. They miss you guys. It's, but it's so good to be here. It's, it's incredible to see just all, all that God is doing. Here in Eldoret. The Lord is the the Lord is moving here, is he not? It's exciting that 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 we get to be a part of what he's doing, and he's not done, he's just getting started. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Psalm 57? We'll go ahead and read through our text this morning. Psalm 57, verse 1: To the chief musician set to do not destroy. A them of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one. Who would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory, awake. Lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens in your truth, unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is power. Your word is life. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding, Lord, as we go through this passage, Lord, would you give us understanding and application that we might be men and women, Lord, that apply the word to our daily lives? We love you. We thank you for being here. Thank you for, Lord, just this time of corporate worship, Lord. Lord, thank you for the the worship team that, that led us in praise this morning, Lord. Thank you for this place that we can meet. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word, what a blessing. David, in verse one, he says to the chief musician, he's writing this as a corporate song for the nation to come together and worship corporately, to to lift up praise. And it's set to a song, I, I, I don't know what this song sounded like, but at the time, everybody knew this very popular song called Do Not Destroy. It was a victim of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. You know, regardless of... When this song, this psalm was written, we know it was written at a time where David was suffering greatly. David was going through immense persecution. Saul, the king of Israel, was determined to kill him. Now there's some debate about which cave David fled to during this. Was it the cave of Adullam, we'll, we'll talk about that. Was it the caves of En Gedi? We'll explore both of those ideas. Really, in view of the last five verses of this psalm, I lean towards this particular um, event taking place in En But as the psalm opens up, David has this threefold prayer. He says, Lord, would you hide me? Lord, would you hear me? Lord, would you help me? Would you hide me? Would you hear me? Would you help me? I I think how often have we been in places where we've prayed similar prayers, where we've lifted up similar words to the God of heaven? Lord, would you hide me from the situation? Lord, would you hide me from the enemy? Lord, would, would you hear what I have to say? Lord, would you help me in this situation? We see David, he says, be merciful to me. Oh God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed. The fact that David repeats this cry for mercy tells us something. It tells us that David is in a place in life where he can't take much more. He's, he's, he's taken all that he can take and he's crying out in desperation. And, and David, he knows where to go. He knows where to run for refuge. He says, I'm, I'm gonna go to you to the shadow of your wings, that place of protection. It's a beautiful image. It's the picture of a little baby bird running to his mama to hide under the shadow of her wings. It's the same imagery that 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 Jesus used as he looked down at Jerusalem. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he was descending the Mount of Olives, coming towards the Kidron Valley to the eastern section of Jerusalem. The temple was in view, and, and he pauses there, and he begins to weep. And in the Greek, we get the the picture that this wasn't a little cry, it wasn't just a little tear, but it was an ugly cry. And this was at a time when everyone was was praising Jesus and really declaring him to be Messiah. And I'm sure it was confusing at the time for the disciples, but Jesus knew something that they didn't. As Jesus looked into the city, he cried out in Matthew 23, 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. It's sad that there are so many that are not willing to come to the Lord for shelter. There are so many that are not willing to come to Jesus for that place of refuge and that place of protection and how it grieves the heart of God because let me tell you what, church, God loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. Let me ask you a question. Is your life hid in Christ? Is your life hid in Jesus? Because if it is, that's a great place to be. Don't ever step out from the protection of God. We want to be a people walking in obedience, abiding in Christ, staying connected to Jesus at all times. We never want to remove ourselves. We want to stay connected to Jesus. We want to Keep in step with him. And you know, as we look at this, we see how long will David stay in this place of refuge, in this place of protection. He says, I'm staying there until these calamities, until these dangers, until these trials and problems, until they're over. It's hard to imagine a world without trouble, isn't it? It's hard to imagine a world without problems. As we hear the news from, from overseas, as we look at other nations and the, the many wars and conflicts that are taking place, it's hard to imagine that there will ever be peace in this world, but Jesus is coming back, church. Can we say Maranatha? Maranatha, Jesus is coming back, do you believe that? Do you believe that the king is about to return? He's gonna set everything straight when he comes. Until then, Satan has his rule over the earth, and Satan has made a mess of things, hasn't he? What is your soul trusting in right now? Who are you taking refuge in? Sadly, instead of trusting in Jesus, running to Jesus, we see people at the first sign of a problem, They'll run to their doctor, or to a psychologist. They'll run to a lawyer. Some will run to their spiritual leader. Many try to forget their problems by zoning out on technology, just staring at their phone all day, forgetting the world that's out here. We'll just look at this. Escaping entertainment. There are some that look to escape this world by using drugs or alcohol sex, relationships, but David is wiser. David, he cries out to the Lord. Look at verse two. I will cry out to God most high, to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. David, he cries out to the creator God of the universe. It's so beautiful, the phrase in Hebrew, God most high. It's Elohim, Elyon. If we have it up here, you can see the slide. To the creator God, to El Elyon, the supreme ruler, the supreme authority, the final authority. And David knows this God, this uncreated God of gods, as his own savior. And this Hebrew word for perform, I don't know if we have the slide or not, but It is gomer. And and, and this word gomer means to complete, to bring to an end, to perfect. And in this context, it does our heart good to remember that the Lord, God most high, the uncreated God of the universe, is the one who can bring our threatening circumstances to a complete end. He is able. Do you believe that? He alone is able. In fact, he can bring it to a sudden end anytime he wants. And this is really the idea behind Romans 8.28. Paul wrote, and we know that all things work together for good to those. It's conditional. This isn't for everybody in the world. But God will work out all things for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purposes. So, so, David cries out. He says, Lord, would you hear me? David is a man that loves the Lord. David is a man that is walking in obedience to the Lord. He's, he's seeking the heart of God. And yet, he's finding himself in difficulty. He's finding himself with many enemies surrounding him. He's crying out to the Lord. And God heard. We come to verse 3. He shall send from heaven and save me. This is some confidence here. David isn't saying, well, I think that God might help me here. I'm hoping that God sends some help here. No, he says, he shall send from heaven and save me. And then he goes on. He says, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. This is some strong language. And it's followed with this Hebrew phrase, selah. Do you know what selah means? It means let's stop and meditate on that before we move on. That God is going to send help in my circumstances, because I love him, because I'm walking in obedience, I've run to the shelter of his wings. Whatever's happening, whoever's coming against me, I know that my God is bigger, and my God is stronger, and I can trust him. Not only that, but he reproaches the one who would seek my end. That's a good thing to meditate on, amen? God shall send forth his mercy and truth. David, he's crying out to God to save him from injury. He's been wrongly labeled as a traitor. King Saul is convinced that that David is his enemy. King Saul has put a price on his head. David, he's being treated like a criminal. He's under constant danger and threat, but David is going to place God between him and that danger. David is gonna place God between him and that threat. He says in verse four, he lists some of the dangers that he's facing, he says, my soul is among lions. Now that's a scary place to be if you've ever been among lions. He goes on, he says, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. Whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. When we go back to 1 Samuel and we look at the life of David, the history of David, we discover that David went through a lot. If you remember, there was that time where David, he flees to the city of Gath. If we have a map up here, we can can pull up that and we can look at that. The Philistine city, this, this was the place where the giant Goliath lived. And if you remember the story, David killed that champion of the Philistines. And for David to go back to the city of Goliath, that tells us that his, he was in a lot of danger. He was in a lot of problems in, in, in Israel. He thought his chances of living were, were better He had better odds living among the enemy than among Israel. And from there, David, he, I guess we don't have the map, but he he goes down, he kind of moves to to the east, the southern part of Israel, to this place called the Cave of Adullam. And it's there that David's family meets up with with him. And not only that, we see David's numbers increase from from one to 600. We see David training up his mighty men in this situation. And and from there, we see David taking his family to Moab. Moab is on the other side of the Dead Sea. It's a place where his father's grandmother, Ruth, a Moabitess had lived. So David had family connections in Moab. He goes there for a time. He returns back. And then the prophet Gad, we see, comes and, and tells David, hey, you're not safe in the cave of Abdullah. It's no longer secure there. And so David moves on. He goes to a place called Kilililah. It was a place that, it was a city that he had delivered and fought against the Philistines who were coming against that Judean city. But sadly, The inhabitants of Kelilah turned against David. They betrayed David. They they told Saul's men that he's here. And, of course, David escapes. Next, he goes to the Ziphites. These these were people in his own family's tribe. And we see the Ziphites betrayed David to Saul. They were very afraid of King Saul. And so David, being betrayed by his own tribe, he moves on. After God had raised up the the Philistines to distract King Saul, he escapes. And if you can see the map, he he moves north along the western shore of of the Dead Sea. It's a a very desolate wilderness. We have a photo of, of that area to show you on the western shore of the Dead Sea. This place is so very hot It's one of the lowest places on the earth, but it's a place where it just draws the moisture out of your body. It's it's so essential that you find water. If you don't find water, you die very fast. And it was here in this desolate wilderness, if we can put up that, that photo, this desolate, dry, hot wilderness, David wanders and he finds a canyon. And in this canyon, if we could look at the next photo, is this beautiful oasis. There's, there's a fresh stream that's coming out of this. There's vegetation, there's, there's waterfalls, there's caves where, where he can hide. It's this beautiful oasis, and you can just imagine David was refreshed there in, in the spring of En the spring of the wild goats. But his refreshment didn't last long because someone found out David was there. And they tell King Saul, David is hiding in the caves of Engedi. And before long, King Saul shows up with 3,000 men. 3,000. That's a lot of men. And the thing about Engedi, I've, I've been there many times, there's one way into this valley and only one way out. And so you can imagine King Saul, he sets up a perimeter. He's got the tactical advantage. There's no way David is coming in or out without him knowing. This time he has them trapped. So David, he takes his men and he retreats into one of the caves. We don't know. there's actually many caves along the northern side of this canyon. He could have gone. But I, I believe it's here that David is reciting the dangers in Psalm 57. I believe it's here that, that David is telling the Lord, look, at, this is what I'm facing. And let me just say, it's good for us to share with the Lord what we're, what we're going through. Even though God is a God that knows all things, it's good for us to come to him as his children and say, Father, I'm upset. Father, I need help. Father, this is coming against me. We're invited in the book of Hebrews to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Do you need help? We go to our father. We tell him, we share him with him our hearts. But you know, it's here, as David is in the darkness of the cave, hiding in this cave, he realizes it's not the shadow of the cave that is my shelter. There's something far greater that is sheltering me and protecting me. There's something so much greater than just the security of this cave. He, he recognizes that it's God most high, El Elyon. His God, the uncreated God, the creator God of the universe that is so much bigger than the enemy that is coming against him. God is greater than the 3,000 men that are seeking to end his life. Look at what happens next as he's hiding in the cave, contemplating his life. He says in verse five, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David, he's desiring that God would show himself big. Lord, show how big you are. David, he had faith that his present circumstance was nothing compared to the greatness and the bigness of his God? And how often do we feel like our circumstances are impossible? Lord, how will I provide for my family? Lord, how will I ever find work? Lord, what will you do with this circumstance? There doesn't seem to be any hope. How often do we feel backed into a corner, into a dark cave, with no way out? And yet, look at what David says in verse six. They have prepared a net for my steps. The enemy has prepared a trap. Listen, if you are a born-again, spirit-filled, Jesus-following Christian, I can promise you the enemy is looking to trap you right now. The enemy is studying you, looking at your life. How can the enemy tempt you to walk away from Jesus, how, how can the enemy entice you into sin? To set a snare before your feet, how can he do that? Guys, the enemy is setting snares and nets before you. And look at what David says, he says, my soul is bowed down. They have dug a, a pit before me. David is humble, he recognizes the enemy is great. Every which way he turns, there's the enemy. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah, stop and think about that. The enemy sets a trap, but the enemy is gonna fall into its own trap. Think about that. I think this is a, a great prayer. Lord, take the plans that the enemy has and confuse the plans of the enemy. Lord, may the enemy fall on its own sword. It's a great prayer. David, he wants us to think about that. And we know what happened at En Gedi. We, we know. Saul was so sure that he had David trapped. I have 3,000 men. What is that against David's 600? No one is getting in or out of the canyon without David, without Saul knowing about it. There would be no escape for David this time. Yet, at some point, Saul goes up to the very same cave that David is hiding. Let's let's look at the photo of of, of those caves again. We don't know which cave David was in, but he was in one of those. And the Lord made a way for Saul to go into that particular cave. David, you can picture and imagine, he's in the very back, hiding in, in, in the blackness, in the shadows. And as Saul is hiding... He would have been surrounded with guards. You can just imagine the fire that they had lit burning down low. It's getting darker in the cave. The shadows are growing even more. You can picture the cave, the the, the guards falling asleep, and there's David. There's his mighty men behind him saying, David, now is the time. Kill him. David, kill him. It was then that David would creep forward, (coughs) excuse me, pulling out his knife. And he began (coughs) to cut. begin to cut the corner of his robe. Perfect opportunity to kill the king. If David would have killed Saul, his problems would have been solved. What would you have done in that situation? Your enemy is asleep. You have the advantage. But David, he would not harm the Lord's anointed. He cuts the robe. He takes a piece of it to make a point. Now, can you imagine the confusion that next morning? Saul is sleeping. And all of a sudden, he hears David crying out, My Lord, the king. David shouting, he's getting Saul's attention. And when Saul looked out, there was David holding something in his hand. Something that he had cut from his robe the night before. In fact, let's, let's turn in our Bibles to, to 1 Samuel 24. And let's just read the account together. 1 Samuel 24. says, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, And called out to Saul, saying, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now, no one see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you haunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I for you have rewarded me. With good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if, a man, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What an incredible account! I mean, how awesome is this? How amazing is our God? David? surrounded. He has the opportunity to kill Saul, his enemy. And yet he knows, I need to not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to extend mercy. I'm going to give the king something he doesn't deserve. Verse 7, David says, my heart is steadfast. Now you, you wonder, how, how can David be in this position? Where is David finding this strength? This is, you have to be strong to behave like this. This takes strength. And here David, he says, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise that word steadfast in the hebrew if we could put that up it's it's kun and it means literally prepared established ready right fixed stable confirmed that's that's the idea of this word steadfast and, he, and he's saying my heart is prepared I have a prepared heart, I have an established heart, my heart is ready, it's fixed, it's stable, it's confirmed. You know, David, he had a heart after the, after the Lord, didn't he? And I think, Lord, would you give me a stable heart? Would you give me an established heart? Lord, would you give me a secure, fixed heart? You know, when our hearts are fixed on the Lord, when we're determined to stay connected to Jesus, when our eyes are on him, there's no room for doubt in that moment. There's, there's no place for, for depression because all of our fears and anxieties begin to just fall away and what's replaced is praise and worship. That's a pretty good trade. I mean, hey, fear and anxiety will drop that, and what replaces that is is praise and worship. And look at the response in verse 8. He says, awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I mean, he's going to be that crazy neighbor next to you that likes to sing at 5 a.m. really loud. Do you have any of those neighbors? I mean, here's David. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. What's incredible here is that David, he was running for his life at this moment. He's running for his life. He he can't go home. He's he's hiding in a cave, and yet he still makes worship a priority. It doesn't matter what's going on in his circumstances. He's making worship a priority. A priority. He has every intention of waking up the morning with praise. Just like that rooster woke me up this morning. David's like, I, I'm getting up before the rooster. I'm going to be crowing for the Lord. And, and here, David has every intention of just singing out in this evangelistic way that the heathen nations might know his God. His God most high. Everyone needs to know the true God. Church, when we experience the goodness of God, the salvation of God, it has a way of just overflowing to those who are around us. He says in verse 10, for your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Think of all the mercy that David had experienced from God. And you know, as we continue to study the life of David, God is going to continue to pour out mercy upon David. But this mercy had a way of overflowing onto Saul as David interacted with Saul. David David, David could have just cut his enemy down. He extended mercy. And here's the thing, church when we act like our Father in heaven, it brings him glory. How, How many times in Scripture are we exhorted to be holy because God is holy? You know, the Lord wants us to be like him. We have, we have Jesus, God in the flesh, as our example. He's, he's the one that we fix our eyes upon. He's the one that we want to imitate. We're not looking at other people to be our example. We're looking at Christ. We want to be like him. We want to imitate him because it brings God glory. When we act like our father in heaven, it brings him glory. I wonder if there's a difficult person in your life coming to mind right now. Someone in your community, someone perhaps at work. Maybe you feel like there's someone chasing you down, hunting you down. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's been dealing very unfairly with you. Does anybody have people in their lives that are, if you remember King Saul, he would throw spears at David. David would have to dodge and, Get out of the way. What we need to remember is that that person just might be anointed by the Lord to work God's purposes in your life. And this is a hard thing. This is a difficult thing, but it's true. The Lord might be using that difficult person in your life to make you the man or the woman that God intends you to be. And here's the thing, if if we retaliate against that person, as tempting as that might be, then we're we're gonna miss the point of what God's trying to do in our life. The Lord knows what he's doing. He he will remove that Saul in time. Sometimes I wanna help the Lord out and kind of speed up his timeline. Lord, you're moving too slow. I want this person gone now. Can anybody else relate to that? Lord, let me just take care of that. And the Lord says, no, I have a time. Verse 11 says, you know, here's David. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. (laughs) David, he repeats this again. Didn't we just read this? He says it again. Be high, O God. Be lifted up, O God. He's the creator God of the universe. God most high. He's beyond the stars. He's beyond the sun. He's higher than the heavens. He's big enough to speak the cosmos into being. That's the God we serve. He speaks and things happen. And yet, as powerful as he is, he's tender enough to care for one frightened man or a woman hiding in a cave. He's so tender. He's so big, and yet he's so kind. He's gentle with us. He cares. He's, he's ready to just draw us into his arms like a hen her chicks what a god we serve what a great savior steadfast hearts fixed hearts prepared hearts they're so rare among christians today as christians as people following jesus we we know that we're supposed to forgive do you know that you're supposed to forgive Do you know that you're supposed to extend mercy and grace? Of of course we know this, but practically that's hard to do. Sometimes I fail in that. I find at times it's hard to not be bitter. It's hard not to hold a grudge when I've been slandered, when people talk bad about me, when people lie about me, it happens a lot. It's, it's, it's hard to not be upset when I am taken advantage of, when we're robbed. What can we do? I know what I should do, but I, how do I do this? How do I not be bitter? How do I not hold a grudge? Lord, how am I supposed to extend mercy when I want to beat this guy up? Well, we do what Jesus says. Do you know what Jesus said to do about our enemies? We're to pray for them. And we need the Holy Spirit for this too. We do. Sometimes I, I like some of the prayers I read about in the Psalms where David says, Lord, kick their teeth in. Have you read that? Lord, trade my hands for war because I want to go at the enemy. And where there's a time and a place for those prayers, that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, who's the person that's hurt you? Who's the person that's wronged you, that's robbed you? Pray for them. Ask the Lord to bless them. Ask the Lord to to take that enemy and draw them unto himself, to work in their lives. And you know, I've discovered when I am obedient to the Lord... And as I begin to pray for those who have wronged me and hurt me, something begins to happen. Prayer changes things. Do you know that? Do you know that God hears our prayers and God answers prayers? But when I pray for my enemies, God begins to change things. And do you know what he changes? He changes me. When I begin to pray for my enemies, he begins to change my heart. I don't know what God is doing with the people that are coming against me, lying about me, hurting me, stealing from me. I I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I know that when I pray for them, God begins to change my heart. Our feelings begin to change. Our perspective begins to change. Because we pour treasure into those people through prayer. Prayer. Do you know that? When we're praying for them, we're pouring treasure into our enemies. Lord, bless them. Change them, bring them. Open their eyes that they might see you. Lord, cause them to repent. Bring them into your family. And as we pray that, as we pour treasure into them, Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Do you remember that? Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So if you're here this morning, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin. The Bible says that all have sinned. All have fallen short. We're all born in sin, every one of us. Ask him to cleanse you, to forgive you. Ask him to to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Listen, God is merciful. He's so merciful. He wants to shelter you, not just in the temporary times, but for all eternity. He wants to bring you into glory and he will save you from your sins. He will establish your heart. You know, there are a lot of people that that know about Jesus. There are people that spend their whole lives in church reading about Jesus. They even believe in Jesus. But the book of James tells us that even the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble. So it comes down to this, we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives. We need to bend our knee and walk in obedience and do the things that he's calling us to do. Living that life of submission, that's when the Lord can bring us into that place of shelter, that place of protection, that place of blessing. Listen, for those of you that are saved, for those of you that are a part of the family of God, you have a relationship with Jesus. What an encouragement this is for us to set our hearts on him. And this is not a one-time thing, is it, church? Every day that we wake up, his mercies are new every morning, and we have a fresh opportunity to say, Lord, establish my heart again. Lord, today I want to choose you. Today I choose to fix my eyes upon you. I'm going to look higher than my problems. Lord, I know that you are the source of blessing. You're the source of provision. It doesn't matter how great the enemy is, Lord. You are God most high. You're higher. You're bigger. You're the God that speaks and things happen. Lord, you're so good. I'm going to choose to look at you and not the enemy today. I choose to follow you Lord Jesus, what an encouragement to fix our eyes on Jesus and find shelter in him. And listen, as you set your eyes on Jesus, you're going to discover that mercy becomes second nature, becomes a part of our nature. As we receive mercy, we're merciful with others. As we receive forgiveness, we learn to forgive others, don't we? As we receive the great love that Jesus gives, he empowers us to love the unlovable, What a blessing it is knowing Jesus. What a great God. What a great king. What a great savior. Our hearts are established, stable, secure. We're able to endure hardship like a good soldier because we have securely determined to shelter in our God. Fear has no hold as we walk by faith. We're fixed and steadfast, enjoying the presence of our God, even if he chooses to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. What a mighty God, amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, your mercy that is new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you, in the shadow of your wings, Lord, we find our refuge. Thank you, Lord, you invite us to cry out, to come boldly before your throne of grace, to find help in time of need, Lord. Thank you for the help that you've already given, the help you've already sent from heaven. Jesus, you've come, and you're coming again, and we just rejoice in that. We say, Maranatha, Lord, we pray you continue to confuse the plans that the enemy has. We pray you continue, Lord, to build your church. We know that the gates of Hades will not prevail because you are greater than Satan and any opposition that can come against your people, Lord. Even though we find ourselves sheep among lions, sheep among wolves, Lord, those who are being used by the enemy, Lord, you are greater. We trust in you. Lord, give us steadfast hearts. Lord, give us hearts that are overflowing with worship and praise. May we begin each day, each morning, waking the dawn with worship, Father. We thank you for your mercy, your truth. Lord, be exalted above the heavens and your glory above the earth. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.